last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. And I know that Quincy looks a little fake to you, but what's he look like with Sam Darnold in 2018, boo? Hey, listen, you're pro Inunua. I love this take. Trust me. I'm not arguing. I love this. I'm just explaining to you what you're saying. And you know, at this point, like now I know why you get frustrated, Matt, with Nate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He was supposed to do a rap. He has no rap prepared. That was his only job for this entire show was to have a rap prepared. He had one job. You had one job. One job. And, you know, it's Evan Silva, man. People want to hear what he has to say. So try and get out of the key. Give him space to drive the lane. I don't want to I don't want to trip him up. He's the one hundred million dollar man. And. Derrick Henry has been the most polarizing running back on football Twitter this last month. You would agree, right? No. And galloping in, yes, with two revolvers, you know, no hands on the horse, just 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 shooting two revolvers in all directions. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. How's it going tonight, Matt? Oh, my God, he did it. <laughs> Just basking in the glory, praise, praise. Pouring in after the Sonic Truth podcast episode with Evan Silva, in which Nate Rabbit and now Matt Doggy Dog. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. Brought the heat. Yes. I'm loving it because people loved that show. So take us behind the scenes, Nate. How does a rap like last week's rap come into being? Well, Matt, if I can be totally honest with you, as you're well aware, because this is a semi-loaded question, uh, we have a DM going between me, you, and Evan in the background, like we do with our other guests pre-show for a few days. We say, hey, what do you want to talk about, this and that? And of course, Evan, being a fan of the show, he's like, is Nate going to write a rap about me, or is Nate going to write a rap? When's he going to rap? And Matt goes, sure, Nate will do a rap. Nate, look, we need you to do a rap. This is one day before the show, right? Right. You had one job. One job! Right. And for those of you that heard the episode, at some point in it, you realize I did not write a rap. So mid-episode, Matt Kelly asks me, he, he shoos me away and says, write a rap, write something, write about Quincy Newman, do whatever. So I write this rap, do it in about five minutes or whatever, off to the side while him and Evan are debating some point. I don't know what happened during then. So I do the rap, we get done, and if you heard the outtakes, Evan Silva goes, that's it, that was all, like, very let down, right? Right. And you don't want to disappoint Evan Silva. So Matt Kelly calls me on the weekend as he's producing the show, getting things ready, and he says, he goes, Nate, you got you got to add to this. You got it. You got to do more. This wasn't good enough. This isn't how the show's supposed to end. Right. So I go back to the drawing board, rewrite the verse, and then Matt Kelly produces the shit out of this thing and turns it into some sort of like trap beat. I don't even know what it was, but the way that it ended with the Anunwas in the background was just it was just perfect. Right. Absolutely perfect. No, it was. Right. Anunwa. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I still. Get shivers thinking about the Anunwa. <laughs> when I did it, I was like, oh, this is going to sound great. I just knew it. I just knew it. No, I knew it. The middle part, we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Right. There are very few wide receivers that finished outside the top 40 that are getting thrown into rap verses. So I'm glad Quincy Anunwa could get his shine. Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa. <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll never <laughs> escape my head. Quincy. I tried to produce something <laughs> for the show once again. And so hopefully, hopefully the rap game is going to get stored in a trunk for a little while. Right. And and not come back out till the next big beef. Or if we get somebody bigger than Evan Silva and they demand a rap, maybe I'll half-ass another one then. Well, some people thought you might be upset that I puffed daddy the song. You were okay with it. Yeah, I, here's the thing. It was as... 
it was as new to me as it was to the people that heard it for the first time. Because when I submitted the the verse to Matt, I just thought it was going to go like normally. He goes, hey, do you want me to throw a beat in the background or not? And I said, sure. And then when I heard it for the first time, I was blown away. I don't mind that you did the editing to it because I don't think the integrity of it was ruined. I just no. think that it was enhanced. There was yeah. so many more levels to it. Unexpected. And Matt Kelly got to feature... In the rap verse, which was great, especially with his own little four-bar take in the it middle. Was so bad. I was like, what am I going to do? It's so good. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was a highlight. That's the thing that people may not know is that you acapella the rap and then I lay the rap beat down later. That's not the normal way rappers record. You rap over a beat. You get to hear the beat as you're rapping. We do it in a very hacky way. <laughs> right. And mush a bunch of shit together, and it sounds okay, but that's as good as you're going to get in terms of the hacky way we put songs together on this show. It's not going to get better than the one we had last show. That was pretty good. And the listeners are enjoying it. So I'm happy that they're happy and happy that you're happy and we're all happy. This has been a great week. The Scott Fish Bowl is underway. Everyone's excited when mm. the Scott Fish Bowl starts. I'm not that excited about the Scott Fishbowl. I get why people are excited about it. You have a lot of people in a tournament-style league where you win your 12-man league, you go on to a bigger league in Week 15, and then you go on to the Super Bowl league in Week 16. Last year, I won my initial 12-man league, and then I moved on to Week 15's Super League, and I didn't make it to the Super Bowl. I fell just short. But the interesting thing about my team last year was that I was one of the few doing zero RB because wide receivers are punished in this Scott Fishbowl format, famously punished. I still went wide receiver heavy and essentially won my mini league, won my 12-man, because I drafted Garrett Blunt and Spencer Ware. The chances of me doing that again this year... Slim to none. (laughs) Finding two late round home runs. So I went into this year without a strategy. And I strongly believe that I will finish last. I hate my team. (laughs) I'm the only one. Everyone else on Twitter loves their team. Their team everything's worked out great for everyone, except me. Everyone is excited about the team they've drafted, except Matt Kelly. Do you like your team? Man, I don't know. You know, I like the way that my team started out. And here's the thing. Everybody believes that running back is the dominant position in this. And I realize because it's a point per first down. For those of you that aren't in the Scott Fishbowl. Which is most everybody. This is one of my frustrations. That everyone's talking about the Scott Fishbowl, but it's alienating 60, 70, 80, 90% of our audience. Most people are not in the Scott Fishbowl. And the scoring is so unique that it makes it difficult to have a conversation with anyone about this particular format. It's difficult to even find first down data on players. I mean, we have incredibly rich data at playerprofiler.com, and it was even a pain in the ass for me to go out and find first down data. So for that reason, I just can't get excited about such a specialized format. Well, here's the thing. As I respond to your question, I want to let people know that coming up here in a minute on the show, Matt has asked me if I'd outline the top five backs that I have in this class, and I've got scouting notes and facts about them, stuff that people don't know. Why are you previewing that? Because I want to talk about the Scott Fishbowl, but I don't want people to turn it off because, like you said, they're being alienated, but I wanted to bring up a point about it. Just keep talking. You don't need to. Why did you do that? You didn't even say the 2018 class. They're going to know who it is. You just said the class. All right, just cut it out. You gotta, I got to cut that whole thing out. That was the worst caveat in the history of the Sonic Truth podcast. The point that I wanted to make <laughs> about the positions in this thing, they did a point per first down. But I got some information from some of the guys that write over at Rotoviz, and they did the historical data over the last five years. And they looked at running backs and receivers in the top 24. And last year was an outlier versus the previous four. Over the previous four, it was about dead even between 10 wide receivers and 10 running backs finishing in the top 24. Right. Last year, it was 14 running backs and six receivers. Essentially, it's a super flex standard league masquerading as a highly specialized point per first down league. So I went heavy on wide receiver because it's what I do. And I grab top tier wide receivers and I grab Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck. And I don't really love my team either. 
I would like my team better if I went that direction. I started strong at wide receiver, Odell Beckham and Julio Jones. Nice. Would you agree that's strong? Yeah, absolutely. That's very strong, very strong. Very because strong. <laughs> no one likes wide receivers in the particular division that I'm drafting in. And then we've talked about super flex before in Dynasty, all these super flex formats, you need to get quarterbacks. Now, in super flex standard leagues, which is essentially what the Scott Fishbowl is, you really, really, really need to get quarterbacks because the wide receivers and running backs don't have that point per reception that where they can make up a big differential on the quarterbacks. They just can't make up the differential enough in the Scott Fishbowl to dissuade you from drafting quarterbacks early. So I drafted quarterbacks that can run for first downs undervalued quarterbacks that can run for first downs that's Dak Prescott and that's Tyrod Taylor yeah that's nice that's a nice touch and for the people again the people that aren't in this that wouldn't understand how this works in the fifth round of the draft that I was in with the 10th pick Allen Robinson Sammy Watkins Brandon Cooks are still all on the board silly Silly. The weirdest thing about this league, the way it's it's designed, guys like that are sitting like Keenan Allen was there till the middle of the sixth round. It's sadistic. <laughs> it's wide receiver sodomy is what it is. There you go. That's good. Well, Matt, I'm getting a little tired of talking about the Scott Fish Bowl. It's the wide receiver sodomy bowl. <laughs> and I wanted to have Scott Fish on the Roto Underworld radio show last week. I invited him on. He agreed to come on. And Scott Fish from Dynasty League Football agreed and then needed to move the date, then couldn't commit to a time, then needed to move the date again, then couldn't commit to a time. So days were rolling by. The show was upcoming and I could not get confirmation from Scott Fish and eventually had to cross his name off the guest list and move up Raymond Summerlin. Mm. And I have a theory about why Scott Fish was not eager to confirm his appearance on Roto Underworld Radio because I was hearing at the same time discussions on the DLF message board about this show. Drama! I'm not involved in any drama, but apparently behind the scenes at Dynasty League Football, there are individuals there that do not like us because they remain unhappy with how we treated Jeff Miller, Nate. Oh my goodness gracious. I wrote a rap about him. That's the greatest compliment in the world. That's like when a stand-up comedian rips you apart. It's like, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. He got a lot of visibility from us. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. That's what happened. Oh my gosh. He ripped us on Twitter. We ripped him on our podcast, and that was it. But some individuals at Dynasty League Football have not forgiven us. In particular, Eric Dickens. Now, I don't know who Eric Dickens is. I think he was following me at one point, then he unfollowed me. And that's fine. All of it's fine. Until I learned that Eric Dickens criticized Nathan Powell for coming on this show. That Nathan Powell was experiencing coercion and manipulation from the people at DLF, specifically Eric Dickens. And that is not the way to go. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, we're a podcast. We entertain. 98% of our fans that have heard more than three episodes know what our shtick is, okay? They know that if Jeff Miller was on fire in the streets, we would get a pail of water and pour it on him and put it out. Would we? Would we, though? Would we? You sure about that? I'd use warm water. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! We'd put the fire out. But we're not bad guys, all right, man? We have fun on here. People like the show. Everybody loves this show, except a very small cadre of Jeff Miller loyalists who think it's okay to pressure others in their little community to disavow their friends, because that's essentially what they were asking Nathan Powell to do. You can't go on that show. I can't believe you went on that show. And Nathan Powell didn't tell me this. Someone else told me this, because Nathan Powell doesn't give a shit what anyone says about him. That's why I love Nathan Powell. He couldn't give two shits what Eric Dickens thinks of him. And that's why we love Nathan Powell on this show. But when I heard that, it just made my skin crawl. Lame manipulation is happening behind the scenes at some of these sites. And and once I heard that, it clicked. Oh, 
of course Scott Fish doesn't want to come on Roto Underworld Radio after Nathan Powell was undressed by Eric Dickens for coming on this show. Why the hell would Scott Fish want to deal with the blowback from the yap dogs in the forums? So I understand it. Scott Fish is a great guy, but I also understand why no one wants to go on a podcast if they're going to get criticized by their peers. So they may hate the Sonic Truth podcast. They may hate the Roto Underworld Radio. We don't hate them. I still love Dynasty League Football as a website. It's a great resource. I love Nathan Powell. I love Scott Fish. I love Kevin O'Brien, Leo. So many great writers, more than I can name, that I highly respect at DLF. But Eric puts the dick in Dickens. And the thing is, to take people behind the curtain one more time, you know, without naming names, when our beefs have gone down, when we've cleared the air, when we've addressed points that other people won't, we've gotten DMs, props from big time people that go, man, that was awesome that you guys did that. Or I really dislike this guy. Or yeah, I've been thinking about that point forever. I'm glad you guys went after that. So even though you guys listen to this and, and some people dislike the way that we went about the Jeff Miller thing, even though Jeff Miller was the one who started it, there's a lot of people that respond to us privately that are big time people that a lot of you probably follow and like that, that love it too. We're truth tellers. Yeah. And we don't filter our speech. And no one is going to dampen our freedom of expression as Eric Dickens tried to dampen Nathan Powell's freedom of expression. No one can stop us from telling the truth. That's why it's called the Sonic Truth Podcast. (laughs) All right, Matt. Well, how about this? Speaking of telling the truth, can I tell you the truth about some of the running backs that I like in this 2018 class? Let's do a Dynasty League podcast. Ooh. I'm going to start with the top. These aren't necessarily in order, but these are the five players that I like the most in this upcoming draft class. Very fluid. Obviously, we haven't seen 2017 yet, but these are the players I'm excited about. Number one, unquestionably right now, Saquon Barkley, Penn State, 5'11", 223, elite athlete, true three down back. One of the most athletic runners I've ever watched. And so that's what makes him so exciting. Lightning quick feet, changes direction on a dime, can run downhill with power, beat defenders with full speed cuts, make smooth, controlled open field jukes. And he burns defenders and makes it look effortless when he's changing angles while using just the littlest movement. I mean, it's not really a question right now if he's number one to me. I know there's some people that like the guy that we're going to talk about next. But in terms of freshman year production, he was really good if you look back at his first year at Penn State. Thousand-yard season. Exactly. And then you look at what he did the following year as a sophomore in 2016. He rushes for nearly 1,500 yards, 18 touchdowns, and adds in 28 receptions. So he showed us the volume in the receiving game that we saw a little bit of the year prior. You know, he became more of a product of this team. 14.4 yards per reception. So when Saquon Barkley gets the ball out in space, Saquon Barkley makes defenders pay. And four receiving touchdowns. So that's 22 on the season. So let me tell you a air quote fun fact about Saquon Barkley. His sophomore season was really good. If you compared his rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, receptions, and receiving touchdowns to his historical comparisons all the way back to 2000, only four players show up. Two you've probably never heard of, and two played at Boise State. Matt, can you tell me who those two are from Boise State? Jay Ajayi and Jeremy McNichols. That's right, Matt. Product of the Boise State system, baby. (laughs) No, stop it! Stop it! I don't want to hear it! So, how well can we expect Saquon Barkley to test at the NFL Combine, assuming that he comes out next year? Which That's the question. That's the question. Because I've said this multiple times on this show and on social media, that the 2018 class is going to be what we wanted the 2017 class to be. And by we, I mean everyone but me. (laughs) Because... I knew the 2017 class was a fraud. I've been saying it for almost a year, and I was proven right 
Well, I am getting out ahead of it now, nine months in advance of the NFL draft and telling you the 2018 class is for real. And you should hold those 2018 first round picks close to your chest. You should not be selling those picks now because they are going to accrue value as the season goes along and you can start assigning tangible rookie assets to those picks. Once the fifth overall pick in the rookie draft becomes elite running back Nick Chubb in the minds and the imaginations of Dynasty League enthusiasts, that first round pick is going to be much more valuable. So hold those picks now because they're going to accrue value. The trades that are going down in July and August involving first round picks typically are a suboptimal use of a first rounder. The time to trade a first rounder is either right before the trade deadline when you can get a war chest of players for a first round pick in November or just before the NFL draft when the buzz surrounding these players is at its highest point. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We, we had talked about the athleticism of these top five guys, and I think these are the same ones that we spoke about. But I can tell you for a fact a few things that I know athletically about Saquon Barkley. Back in January of this year, he was laser-timed. Again, this guy is 5'11", 223, laser-timed at a 4'33", 40-yard dash. Number one. Number two, and you might have seen these tweeted out on Twitter. At 225 pounds. At 225 pounds. All these these top three guys we're going to talk about are freaks. Recently power cleaned 405 pounds and squats 525 for five reps. We're talking <laughs> freak athlete. We're talking Jarek <laughs> McKinnon level athleticism and strength. And, and this is burst, right? These are the guys that are going to vert big, 37, 38 inches. They're going to run fast, 4-3-3. These are the guys that tacklers are going to have impossible times taking down because of how much power they're generating through their legs and going through tackles. Yeah, the buzz around Adrian Peterson when he came out of Oklahoma. Remember that. Oh, yeah. He ran a 4-4 flat at 6-1-2-15 and posted a 129.0 90th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com. That's because he can generate incredible explosion from his lower body. That's what you're talking about with Saquon Barkley. Exactly. And if his 2017 season is as dynamic as his 2016 season was, barring no significant injury, he's pretty much a lock for the first running back off the board in the NFL draft and possibly a lock for the 101 in Dynasty drafts as well. Wait, he's a lock over Darius Geis? I think so. I think he's the best back in the class right now. And I love Darius Geis, but Saquon Barkley has shown the receiving prowess and Again, I like Geis, but Barkley's shown it, and Barkley's a freaky athlete, too. I agree. Darius Geis has 14 receptions in his career, and that's the difference between Geis and Saquon Barkley. Without looking at the athleticism, you go with Barkley as the better receiver, but you have Geis as your number two back, right? That's a fact. Yeah, and Darius Geis is actually just a little bit smaller. He's 5'11", 215, 212, so we're talking about 10 pounds difference. Who knows? what he'll be like when he shows up to the combine. But like we said with Christian McCaffrey, we wish Christian McCaffrey had 5, 10 more pounds. So when you look at Geis, you look at Barkley, Barkley's 10 pounds heavier. But again, Darius Geis, elite athlete, very instinctual runner. So how do we know he's an elite athlete? Because I get this question on Twitter. We thought the 2017 class was going to be athletic and it wasn't Fantasy Mansion. How do you know the 2018 class is going to be athletic? And my face turns red and I scream at the computer. I never said the 2017 class was athletic. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how you know. Previously, a lot of teams didn't release information when they do their end of the year testing or beginning of the year testing. And a lot of these guys, if you dig deep enough, you've got beat writers and, and writers at collegiate schools that are putting information out there. And all these guys I've found information on or found in the past that you can quantify things with. And a lot of it was laser timed and a lot of it was hand timed. But even if they're hand timing a guy at 4-3, he's a sure shot to run right around a 4-4 flat, right? So either way, they get numerous people that are testing them out but let's talk about Darius Geis for a second well that's important we have a better window into the athleticism on these players than we ever have before we knew Dalvin Cook wasn't going to test well a year ago we know that Saquon Barkley is incredibly explosive I can tell you that right now it's a fact we'll see it play out at the NFL scouting combine 
next March, but I'm telling it to you now because I want you to have tomorrow's newspaper. Mm. Darius Geis is freaky. I mean, he he did even better in terms of production when you look at the conference he's playing in versus the Big Ten where Saquon Barkley's playing in. Not that the Big Ten's bad, but we talk about the SEC defenses all the time. This is the conference that you want the guys with the highly productive backgrounds to come from. This is where some of your top defensive ends come from, linebackers. So they're facing a week in and week out. But with Darius Geis, one thing that we would love to see more of is the receptions on his profile. Only 14 receptions over 23 games since he's been at LSU. The one thing that we know about Geis, though, as far as his receiving ability, is that when we've seen him in-game, he looks good. And there's a lot of film, now that we're in this sort of this era, this social media era, there's a lot of film of him working out, split out wide, running drills, running routes. He looks good as a receiver. So I'm honestly not as concerned with Geis because I've seen it where you still want that production. We still want that statistical production validated in the games. Oh, 7.8 yards per carry for his career against SEC competition primarily. I mean, what? How? I have that actual stat. Geis versus SEC competition alone. This is with no other conferences mixed in. 7.7 yards per carry, 929 (laughs) rush yards, and 11 touchdowns. And he's averaging 17.5 yards per reception versus SEC competition. I don't understand. He's so good. He's so good. I mean, we can't assume that Saquon Barkley is going to be the first running back drafted. Oh, this is going to be great. I'm already excited. Just the potential presence of these two running backs in next year's draft requires you to be very, very careful about trading future 2018 first round picks. If you're not getting a treasure chest of assets, don't do it. Don't do it. Just wait. You can do it. Just don't do it now. Yeah, the the top of this class is going to be good. And we've got three more running backs to talk about that are... It's just incredible what this class is going to offer. But on Geis' athleticism, which we haven't quite gotten to yet, if you watch him on film, freaky athlete. I mean, explosive. One of the quickest short area guys that's probably going to be in the top of this class. Last year, at the end of LSU's camp, he ran the 40. He was timed at a 4-3-2. So, (laughs) what? No. So that's slightly faster than what Saquon Barkley did, but he's 10 pounds lighter. But here's what's really, really impressive, right? If you thought Barkley's five reps of 525 on squat was good, there is a video. I challenge you to find this this video and look at it. Darius Geis, one rep max, 650 pounds squat, all the way down and back up. It's incredible the power that this guy has. No spotters. It's unbelievable. Wow. So, I mean, just these two guys right at the top, freaky athletes. There are two Adrian Petersons in next year's draft class, and we haven't even got to Nick Chubb yet. No, that's right. And Nick Chubb's number three, excellent segue, 5'11", 222. Another guy who tested out incredible in high school. He had a freaky injury in his 2015 season, as most people know. He he was on a tear, and he had a significant leg injury and went down and kind of— A tear? Well, yeah, I guess the pun not intended. But (laughs) Nick Chubb is honestly one of these players in this draft that if he has a bounce back vintage Nick Chubb season in 2018, we could see three running backs go in the first round. And I think that's something we haven't seen since maybe 2008. I got to look back at the numbers. It's been a while since we've seen three backs go in the first round. In the 2005 draft... Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, and Cadillac Williams all went in the top five picks. Wow. Wow. I I don't know if you're going to see that this year, but you could very well see three running backs go in the top 25. And to correct myself, the last time three running backs went in the first round was 2012. Doug Martin, Trent Richardson, David Wilson. But nonetheless, Nick Chubb is another one of these guys who tested out extremely athletic back in high school. This was a guy that tested out with a 40-inch vertical leap in high school. So you know that he's going to put up insane numbers at the combine, but he has top-tier vision and ability to adjust to changing landscape. Chubb routinely finds creases and bursts through holes or beats defenders to the edge for big gains. He's always looked fluid 
in the pass game and pass pro. The issue now with him trying to come back is that they've added competition. Sony Michelle was always there, but now Elijah Holyfield's there, which a lot of people like. And I kind of question what his opportunity will be like, because the thing that could hinder Nick Chubb is a lack of opportunity that could kill his draft stock. He must have been promised significant opportunity to come back so that he could showcase himself for the draft. Well, he had 224 carries in 2016. That's just slightly under what he got as a freshman. And he had a prolific year as a freshman. I mean, his freshman year was as good as any freshman year I've ever seen by a running back. 7.1 yards per carry, 18 receptions for another 213 yards. I mean, I can't believe he put up 1,500 yards as a freshman with that kind of efficiency and involvement in the passing game. He's great. Another great running back. Better than any of the running backs that were in the 2017 class. Right. And in 2016, remember, he's coming back off a significant injury and he still manages to rush for 1,100 yards at five yards per carry. You know, people are scoffing at this, but that's still good production in the SEC. It's post-ACL surgery. Throw that season out. Right. The season before, he had 8.1 yards per carry, man. 8.1 yards per carry before the injury. What? Check this out. Let me let me hit you with my fun fact on Nick Chubb, which really outlines what we're talking about right now. Dating back to his freshman season prior to the injury, Nick Chubb had a streak of 12 consecutive 100-yard rushing games. To put this into perspective, the most 100-yard rushing games that Saquon Barkley or Darius Geis have ever had in a row is two. Nick Chubb had 12. Before he went down, he had five games with no less than 125 yards rushing before he got hurt in 2015. We could be looking at another prolific year, right, in the SEC. So you can't write off Nick Chubb, and I think a lot of people are. Who's writing off Nick Chubb? I can't wait to watch Nick Chubb this year. Right, he's a 4-4 guy with a 40-inch vertical lead. And get out of here with Elijah Holyfield. Get out of here with these next-man-up fantasies. It's the Nick Chubb show in Georgia this year. Just enjoy it, and then we can have Elijah Holyfield the following year. I hope. I want to see Nick Chubb. And the thing about Sony Michelle is he's kind of that Kenyon Drake. He's kind of been behind people, and he may have very low mileage on him when he gets out. He's another guy that a lot of people like. It's worth noting that Sony Michelle is 220 pounds. He's not a svelte 210-pound Kenyon Drake. He is a big, proven runner who went for over 1,000 yards in the year that Nick Chubb tore his ACL. And in that year where he started half the games, still caught 26 passes for 270 receiving yards. That's exceptional, Nate. That's excellent. Sony Michelle is great, too. Yeah, th- there's a lot to like there. So that's what I'm saying. It's it. I hope that Nick Chubb gets the lion's share of the work and gets to prove himself again coming back off that injury. Remember Keith Marshall? Yes. People wanted Keith Marshall yes. to translate his athleticism into on-field performance, but we never got to see it. So we couldn't draft him based on some pipe dream about what he might be. This idea that he could be a competent runner. Well, maybe, but probably not. Most guys aren't competent runners. So why are you drafting him as if he's probably a competent runner when he's probably not a competent runner just because he's athletic well (laughs) we know sony michelle is competent he just has been overshadowed by nick chubb his entire career oh well this is a guy you can potentially get as a value play at the end of the first round early second round next year if he goes to the combine tests well all of a sudden we have a size adjusted speed specimen who doesn't have the production to inflate his adp in rookie drafts I could build a case for every running back in this class. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. Right. We could see two Georgia running backs in the top 10 running backs drafted or, you know, dynasty ranks next year. And Sonny Michelle could possibly be higher than that. But talking about guys that aren't getting the full workload that if they did, I believe they would destroy it. That takes us to Kalen Balazs, Arizona State. 6'2", 227. Balazs has legit first-round abilities and size, but is he going to get the full workload in 2018? If you look at his opportunities over the first two years, didn't get much work as a freshman, 42 carries. And then if you look at the next two seasons as a sophomore and a junior, 125 carries and 126 carries. They've been splitting up the work in this backfield. Last year, Manny Wilkins, the quarterback, rushed 155 times. Then you had Demario Richard, who had 155 carries. So 
He's fighting for work in this backfield. But if you look at what he does as a runner, 14 touchdowns on 126 carries. That's a touchdown every nine attempts. And what's most special about a guy that's six foot two, 227, Matt, can you tell me how many receptions Kalen Balaj had last year? He's over 225 as well? Yes, this is another big back. <laughs> oh, God. He's over 225 and he caught 44 receptions last year? 44 receptions. Can you imagine if they let him carry the ball 200 times? 44 catches last year. That's the most of any running back that we've talked about so far or will talk about. This guy's Joe Mixon. Yeah, he's he's huge. And he's six foot two, six foot three. So he's a tall running back. So it's exciting. He's a guy that has fluid hips, so he bends around the edge really well, beats defenders that over-pursue, can bang between the tackles so he's an inside runner, can play outside. If you like things about Leonard Fournette, his ability to run over defensive backs, run through the second, you know, run through the secondary, run through the first wave of defenders, this guy can play smash mouth football so he can catch the ball. He's shifty. He can get to the outside. He can bang people on the inside. Why wasn't he dominating the opportunity share at Arizona State? I don't have an answer for that. It, they just they split it up a bunch there. I, I really don't know because he's been productive. 4.3 last year in the Pac-12. Not exactly. Is he athletic? Very athletic. That's the other thing that I want to get to. Kalen Balaj has incredible size and speed and power and elite receiving ability. Let me tell you the fun fact about Balaj, and it has to do with his athleticism. He runs a 4.46, which he was recently clocked at. He runs a top speed of 23.3 miles per hour. They've tested this using GPS technology. That 23.3 was faster than the fastest run that Tyreek Hill had last year in the NFL. Faster top speed than Tyreek Hill at six foot two, 227 pounds. Wow. He's like a cross between Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon. Yeah, he is. And he's he's so versatile, though. So if people get a chance to check these guys out, I encourage it. it it's good to look at these guys in advance. You're going to see all of them next year in college football. Draftbreakdown.com is a good website to find all this stuff and find these players broken down. But yeah, we, we hope that Balaj gets the future work this year. He's the most talented physically on this team. He had 44 catches in limited work, 14 touchdowns on 126 carries. This is a guy everybody should be very excited about because he's big and fast and shifty. And he produces everywhere on the football field. He's like a fountain of production, the Bellagio fountain. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. If anybody could do it, you could do it. Why don't we get a little harmonica right there, right afterward, just an exclamation point. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Who's the producer now? You are. No, you are. You're like, at harmonica. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to another big running back, and in my opinion, possibly the scariest running back in college football. Scarier than Kalen Balaj, scarier than Nick Chubb, scarier than Darius Geis, scarier than Saquon Barkley? Scarier than any of them. I would rather tackle Derrick Henry than Bo Scarborough. Bo Scarborough, 6'1". You mean you'd rather tackle Bo Scarborough than Derrick Henry? No. I would rather tackle Derrick Henry than Bo Scarborough. You're trying to explain how menacing Bo Scarborough is. Right. I'm telling you, I'd rather tackle Henry than Scarborough. That point doesn't support what you're saying. What do you mean? If I would rather tackle Scar... I'm saying, are you saying menacing like he would go kill people? You're the one that said scary. You're the one that said this player's menacing. Right. I was having a hard time believing you would find someone even more menacing than the four guys we mentioned. And now suddenly you're talking about Derrick Henry. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm just telling you that Bo Scarborough punishes defenders. I thought Derrick Henry did too. Derrick Henry's huge. It's not necessarily his game. Why do you keep talking about Derrick Henry? Just because they went to Alabama? Yeah, because they went to the same school. Can we talk about Bo Scarborough, please? We've talked about Derrick Henry enough on the show lately. Sure. We're going to have to tape check this. I think you brought up Derrick Henry. Nonetheless. I did not bring up Derrick Henry. We're going to fact check that. I'm happy to do it. Happy to fact check. 6'1", 223. I've not only seen him blow up cornerbacks on the edge in a vintage Leonard Fournette fashion, but I've seen him hit two linebackers at the same time and go through both guys. What's really unique about Scarborough's skill set is his lateral quickness for his size. Defenders are already hesitant to take him on one-on-one -on -one because of his size and the way he punishes runners. And then when he realizes that or he sees defenders changing their angle, he uses a jab step 
or a quick cut to turn power to speed and go buy them. It, it's something that's special about them. I haven't seen a lot of backs that realize that they're freaky to tackle, like Leonard Fournette was, that take advantage of that. And when they can recognize that there's hesitation, they change up their style. And, and Bo Scarborough can do that. And he's a big guy. If you find some clips of Bo Scarborough, you'll find him just destroying people all over the field. The one obvious aspect of his game, though, that we'd like to see more of. Uh, not a receiver. What do you got on Bo Scarborough's receiving game, statistically speaking? <laughs> We're going with this one, are we? <laughs> Four total receptions in 17 games. Not good. Not a good look. Not good. Not a good look for Bobo. But why do you like him? Let me guess. 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 He's a size-adjusted athletic specimen. Yeah, he's another one of them. He was clocked by the Alabama coaching staff. <laughs> Big surprise to the 2018 running back class. Right? This is what we love. So the Alabama coaching staff has him timed at a 4-4. He benches 475. The speed scores that you keep talking about are superb. This is just his class. It all came together at the right time. I mean, this is a guy that also squats 540 pounds. But let me tell you what's special about Bo Scarborough. I've told you that he punishes tacklers. But here's the fun fact on Bo Scarborough. Fun fact. In 2016, Bo Scarborough had the third highest elusive rating in the country per PFF. Third highest elusive rating. So he's hard to tackle even when he's running through you and he's being shifty. He's not the easiest guy to bring down. So that's something that I like about him. That kind of goes back to what I felt about when I watch him where he can tell a defender doesn't really want to take him on. I've watched Bo Scarborough. He's not elusive. Here we go. Oh my goodness gracious. He forces a lot of broken tackles. He trucks defenders, but you can't tell me this guy has incredible lateral quickness. That's just not true. It's just not. Bo Scarborough has incredible lateral quickness, and there's plenty of video evidence online. Here's the issue with Bo Scarborough. It's not just the fact that he's not really featured in the receiving game. Bo Scarborough has a crazy injury history. That guy with that speed and explosion profile is also incredibly agile, then he's a superior Derrick Henry. That's what you're saying. It's possible. Many people believe that if he didn't have these injuries on his profile, he's the best running back in the class. There's a lot of people that feel this way, and I'm, I'm not the outlier here. I have him at number five, but there are big-time analysts that have him at number one if he had no injuries. They talk about it. But just to go briefly through the injury history, he has injuries all the way back to high school that people know about, that people have found out about. In 2015, when he got to Bama, he tore his ACL. And then one of the most significant injuries of all of them was a broken leg against Clemson in 2016 in the national title game. So Nick Saban recently was quoted as saying Scarborough's done all the offseason work and he looks fine. So hopefully he gets back to health in 2017 because he's a speed and size freak. He's been crushing SEC competition and we like to see him in a full season. 125 carries, 812 yards, 6.5 yards per carry, 11 touchdowns at Bama. Here's my issue with Bo Scarborough. We're not sure he's coming out. It's the reason Nick Chubb did go back. Nick Chubb went back to better his draft stock. 916 total yards on his collegiate resume, and Alabama players want to play there four years. Everyone thought Jonathan Allen would come out in 2016. He did not. He came back for a senior year, and it damaged his draft stock. The Alabama players do not care. They have an affinity for that program, which is abnormal. There's a very good chance Bo Scarborough is going back to school. It's quite possible. If Bo Scarborough has an elite 2017, which he's absolutely capable of, if, if Bo Scarborough had 200 carries, he only had 125, so that's why he doesn't have 1,000 yards. But if he had 200 carries, he crushes 1,000 yards, and he probably puts up 15, 16 touchdowns. So next year, you could be looking at a guy with a 1,300-yard season, six yards per carry, 16 touchdowns. Hopefully he can tack on 13, 20 receptions. And we're definitely talking about a top five guy, a, a guy that a team that's in need of a power runner. Like I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But I just have to temper expectations slightly on this class, knowing that one of these top five guys may go back to school. And it's a good point. You know, Nick Chubb did it. It could be Barkley. It could be Geis. 
it could be Scarborough. We saw Royce Freeman do it. Royce Freeman went back for that final year. So, I mean, it's it's true. Guys go back to better that draft stock. And perhaps Bo Scarborough realizes that Nick Chubb and Geis and Saquon Barkley are in this class. And he realizes, hey, I, I might not be a first-round guy. Maybe I'm a mid-second. Maybe I fall to the third. So why don't I come out the following season, better my draft stock, lesser running back class, and have a better opportunity to land in the first round. Because I think both Scarborough has absolute first round abilities, but who knows if his medicals check out and who knows how good 2017 is. The 2018 running back class is giving me a sweatpant boner right now. You didn't see that Eric Dickens sideswipe coming, did you? Let's do a Dynasty League podcast. Nate Rabbit and now Matt Doggy Dog. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. People loved that show. You had one job. One job. Drama. Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa, Quincy Anunwa. You wearing that shirt again? I love this shirt, man. I didn't know that we were keeping track of one another's attire. I'm just saying, like, I wonder if he's going to wear that, that Michael Jordan shirt again. Yep. What I was thinking about doing was just turning my camera off and then in the middle of you talking, pulling out a harmonica. That was the, that was the plan, but I didn't get that far. That the 2018 class is going to be what we wanted the 2017 class to be. And by we, I mean everyone but me. <laughs> he was on a tear, and he had a significant leg injury. He was on a tear. The reason why most of these wide receivers, Brandon Marshall, Andre Johnson, so many of them experience a significant decline at age 33. It's going to happen for Jordy, especially because he had ACL surgery late in his career. Uh, kind of amusing, the uh, the retweet, the one where he told the guy to go fuck himself, and then the guy goes, do you actually talk to people like this in real life? And then I just hit him with a high. And the funny part is, I didn't expect that to go over quite like it did. I think got like 35 or 40 likes or something. That's just pretty funny that people see that. That's just... Well, I have that guy muted. The great Spinx or something. He's just a useless Twitter person. He's an oaf. Like, there's certain people on Twitter that are just ogres, you can just tell. They're just aggressive and not interesting. So, I have him on my aggressive, not interesting Twitter muted list. I'm with my family eating dinner, and someone walks up to my dinner table and asks me a start-sit question. You're goddamn right I'd tell that guy to fuck off. I would be flattered the first handful of times I was asked in public that sort of question, but yeah. Not me. No? Not me first one no no it's fine if anyone wants to give you a fist bump or like a point or a wave or you demand or appreciate you you know all that stuff yeah you see that i've been out with matthew barry you know i see how people you know give him the point or what's up barry you know i'd love that what's up kelly you know i'd be i'm like yeah what's up man they don't engage you, but they give you they give you props from a distance. You just want to pump me for free information? Fuck you. And say, go run your own goddamn fantasy team. And that's a fact. I'm that guy. I, I will absolutely do that. The thing is, you can do that to anyone because typically in interpersonal conversations and interactions, they will be disarmed by that. It'll be almost charming. Well, plus, you know, people expect this from you, you know, sort of this. Uh... Yeah, they want Don Rickles to ridicule them. 
Like, I can't see you in person shredding somebody. Like, if they said something hateful to you that had nothing to do with football. Uh, that doesn't happen to me. I'm a white man. Walking around on a cloud as a white man in society. I'm fine. <laughs> All right? Like, I won the lottery. I get it. My face turns red, and I scream at the computer. I never said the 2017 class was athletic! You didn't even say the 2018 class. <sighs> yeah, Royce Freeman's going back because he only got 168 carries last year. But he's a guy with 65 catches on his profile, 44 touchdowns. He has an 1,800-yard season on his resume, 6.5 yards per carry, and he had 26 catches that year. Royce Freeman's great. He's not overly athletic, but his junior year wasn't great either, and so he went back. So hopefully Oregon really leans on him this year. Can't wait to be heartbroken by guys getting injured and guys going back to school. Can't wait for that to happen. Excited about that, actually. Really excited to be heartbroken. Be dead wrong be mocked on social media can't wait it's gonna happen and i strongly believe that i will finish last i hate my team <laughs> you break a leg it heals man i broke my leg twice my medicals checked out when i went to the combine <laughs> right right now that i see that yeah the only thing that didn't check out at the combine was my mental health yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know where we're going with this anymore Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't mind that you did the editing to it because I don't think the integrity of it was ruined. I just think that it was enhanced. There was so many more levels to it. Unexpected. And Matt Kelly got to feature in the rap verse, which was great, especially with his own little four-bar take in the middle. We do it in a very hacky way. That was the worst caveat in the history of the Sonic Truth podcast. It's sadistic. It's wide receiver sodomy is what it is. There you go. It's the wide receiver sodomy bowl. <laughs> that if Jeff Miller was on fire in the streets, we would get a pail of water and pour it on him and put it out. Would we? Would we, though? Would we? You sure about that? I'd use warm water. <laughs> yes. Except a very small cadre. Is it cadre or cadre? I don't know. I have no idea. Just go with whatever you want to go with. And then I have those two old man tight ends. It's a terrible team. You know what Gates and the Witten are? Dads? They're fuck you tight ends. Nathan Powell was undressed by Eric Dickens. Nathan Powell was undressed by Eric Dickens. But Eric puts the dick in Dickens. No one can stop us from telling the truth. That's why it's called the Sonic Truth Podcast! <laughs> But I'm telling it to you now because I want you to have tomorrow's newspaper. Mm. As if he's probably a competent runner when he's probably not a competent runner just because he's athletic. Well, <laughs> we know Sony Michelle is competent. I, I, I could build a case for every running back in this class. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. He produces everywhere on the football field. He's like a fountain of production. The Bellagio Fountain. If anybody can do it, you could do it. Why don't we get a little harmonica right there, right afterward, just an exclamation point. We're going to have to tape check this. I think you brought up Derrick Henry. I did not bring up Derrick Henry. We're going to fact check that. I'm happy to do it. Happy to fact check. Wow. He's like a cross between Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon. I did not bring up Derrick Henry. He's like a cross between Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon. I did not bring up Derrick Henry. He's like a cross between Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon. Let me guess. 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 He's a size-adjusted athletic specimen. You're going to hit it with the harmonica right at the end? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner.
It's called the Sonic Truth Podcast!